Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, where filmmakers become entrepreneurs. With my dad, he's a dork. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast. I'm your host, Scott McMahon, and this is the podcast where we try to help filmmakers become entrepreneurs, but more specifically, trying to help the uber-independent filmmaker build a lifestyle business. And today's episode is sponsored by the new book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It. Just recently, Netflix announced a major deal with Brad Pitt to finance and produce his next film for about $30 million. It's a war satire film. And the New York Daily News commented on this new deal by saying, The downside? Question mark. The multiplex could increasingly become safe only for the big-budget blockbusters, remakes, and reboots. So what does this mean for Hollywood? Well, if they only make those types of films, they're kind of putting all their eggs in one basket, and we've seen it kind of happen to other industries where there could be a potential bubble, a dot-com bubble, a real estate bubble. And two years ago, Spielberg was quoted as saying, there's going to be an implosion, mega-budget movies are going to go crashing to the ground, and that's going to change the paradigm. So if the Hollywood implosion does happen, how do you survive it? Well, go ahead and check out how to make and sell your film online and survive the Hollywood implosion while doing it at survivetheimplosion.com. Again, you can check out all the details about the new book over at survivetheimplosion.com. And that ding marks the end of the sponsorship promotion, which leads us right into today's episode with guest filmmaker Mike Lundahl, all the way over in Stockholm, Sweden. Now, today's episode is a little different because... Mike had brought to me a bunch of questions, and I normally handle this on Film Marketing Fridays, but I was trying to test something out new with Skype, and essentially this episode is a lot of just answering some of the questions that he had forwarded to me, but I believe a lot of the questions that Mike proposed to me is relevant to all uber-independent filmmakers. So with that said, let's get on to the episode with guest filmmaker Mike Lundahl here on the Film Trooper Podcast. Yeah, well... I'm, uh, you know, originally a 3D artist. Uh, been dealing with animation, uh, visual effects for uh, commercials. Uh, actually, got my breakthrough doing uh, 3D art for video games for a few years. And after the company went bankrupt, I uh, started freelancing for visual effects, more or less. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, that's a, that's a very common story. <laughs> yeah. These very talented artists working in the video game industry were something, and the company goes bankrupt. I can't. It happens. <laughs> it happens way too often, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, was there a thriving sort of gaming community or game development company or companies in Sweden at the at the particular time, or is they or is like one or two there? I'm not too sure. I'm not as familiar with the surroundings, so it'd be. Yeah, we have a few. I mean, the the gaming scene is actually quite good here in Sweden compared to film. Um, we have like Dice. I don't know if you know the company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Battlefield and okay, uh, yeah, yeah. They're doing Star Wars now, which is great. <laughs> uh, that we have Massive here in uh, which oh. is by Ubisoft. Mm-hmm, we have mm-hmm. uh, Starbreeze, which did the uh, Riddick games, and also Avalanche uh, that did the Just Cause games. Uh, they are working on the Mad Max game right now. So, so the gaming scene is actually quite good here. Uh, what we're lacking in is actually movies. Uh, we have a lot of post-production houses, I mean smaller houses that does visual effects for uh, commercials and you know post-production grading stuff like that. But fil- film is it 
starting to get a little bit better, but, but it's like really small still. Uh, it's yeah, it's it's a tough place to be if you want to deal with film here in Sweden. Scott here again, real quick. I want to interrupt the episode just so you can listen to a snippet of Mike's new teaser trailer for his film 124 New Beginnings. And you can watch this trailer over at 124movie.com. Yeah, it's actually it's a short film that serves as a pilot basically for for a bigger production. Uh, when we're doing this short film, I'm at the same time writing the uh, full feature script for it, which I hope to to be finished at the time when this gets released or the the short film that is. Uh, it's a short film that has been, or I started it back in 2009 at the same time when I founded the, the Dark Haven Studios company. And uh, yeah, just keeping at it. It's, uh, we hope to finish the movie this year, uh, and we are scheduled to actually shoot the film uh, this summer. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, we've been working with the digital production since 2009, and we've you know go, we have been going back and forth with the script. You know, there has been a lot of rewrites. I don't know how many versions of the storyboards I've done, but yeah. But yeah, we, we've been ready to move on for some time, time now, but it, it's hard because it's a short film, which means it's probably not funded. Yeah. So how yeah. Um, this is a this is a classic case, which is it's really important to know, like a lot of it is it's on your shoulders because it's like your project and then trying to get uh, other people involved, especially in 3D. You know, because yeah. you're like you said, there's all these other aspects of 3D. Like, you know, can I get someone to help me? you know, rig the characters, kind of get some, you know, everything from modeling, rigging, you know, the animation yeah. to um, textures to the rendering. And then all and then on top of that, if you want to use a compositor mm -hmm. and then that's not even getting into is this thing, who's my editor, who's my sound effects person, music, you know, the whole, the whole, the whole <laughs> thing. So it's uh, it's definitely an undertaking uh, for someone running solo. And I'm I know that you've uh, You've come up across a lot of uh, obstacles in the way um, yeah. that make it very challenging, but you're still, uh, you know, forging forward. What have you discovered in terms of the? Have you been working with people online, like some maybe like an artist in Germany or something like that? How do you, has what has been your experience uh, with uh, with that? We have been quite a few people actually. Um, I had a group from Germany uh, working on the uh, on some modeling and texturing stuff. Uh, right now, I have another guy from UK uh, helping out with animation. I have another girl in the US that's uh, working on uh, modeling and uh, texturing as well. Uh, yeah, so we, we've been quite a few people that have been like jumping on and off on the project, basically. Um, it's a great teaser, by the way. I love the ending. Oh, like I mentioned before, thanks. just like the quality of visual effects is like, oh. It's a, it's no joke. That's definitely worth it. How many um, within the short film? Like how many characters are that need to be created? Oh, in the end, it's going to be three, and uh, maybe if you count the antagonist, the the I don't want to spoil anything, but oh, that's right. Just say three, like, but there might be yeah. More. Well, okay, I'll say four. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> well, because so, I know sometimes in three D. Um, 
you know, it's like, yeah, there might be four characters, but like one of the characters is multiplied of whatever X amount of times, you know, so like the, the same rig and the same models and stuff yeah. could be used. But. Yeah, but, but, but in my own case, it's, it's like the four character could be like a little bit like uh, debatable if it's a character or not. Okay, okay. More in that sense. Uh, yeah. I was just thinking yeah. in terms of like the logistics of, you know, like I said, all the other aspects of the animation, the rigging, the modeling for that many characters. Like it's one thing if you're like, cool, I have one character. That's what my short film's about. So, mm. and, you know, um, or do something where I'm combining it with live action. Uh, uh, you know, obviously we're, you know, we can look to like someone like Neil um, Blumcap. Did I pronounce that right? Uh, from District I think 9? So, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, his is, his is famous because he did the initial short film that became eventually District 9 and integrated yeah. a lot of uh, live action within visual effects. Um, yeah. Oh, you have to forgive me, the fellow did Godzilla who did Monsters, like his, his uh, feature film Monsters, which was shot, and then a lot of visual effects put on that that gave, yeah. him, gave him an opportunity to make uh, Godzilla. Uh, you know what? We could be lame about it, or I could just look it up right here on the internet real quick. <laughs> <laughs> Gareth Edwards. That's who it was. Yeah, that's the guy. Yeah. And then um, there's another story. Um, the guy who did Dracula Untold, um, yeah. Gary Shore, he also made a, uh, a short visual effects film. But he, you know, it was really almost like he was the director, but he was utilizing his buddy's um, company. They wanted to show off the visual effects capabilities. It was almost like a demo reel for this particular production visual effects company. So one of the first questions you had, which is great, was you asked, okay, what is the business model of the future of the independent filmmaker producer? Why traditional 90-minute format? Shorter format with higher focus on production value and more room for marketing efforts? You know, so let's, let's talk about that. This is a really great question because <laughs> the myth of the 90-minute movie, right? It's uh, we've, you know, historically that's because of the multiplexes because they needed to have it long enough or short enough uh, so that they can, uh, an exhibitor at a movie theater, that when you go see the movies, they have to have those block of times, like the two hour chunks. And if it's better, if it's an hour and a half chunk, you know, because it's because they, there's something tra also trained over the, t the course of storytelling. It just seems that we've been ingrained like to tell a full length story. Um, we've got accustomed to this 90 minute to 100, uh, sorry, 90 pages to 120 pages, mm -hmm. all equating to, you know, minutes on screen, um, because there's so many film, uh, screenwriting books and, and story writing books that have built around this constructs of the three act structure that it tells you like, okay, at this particular point in this page and so on, you, um, should have your inside incident, the first act break, you know, the second act, you know, all the stuff, stuff happens. Like it's, it becomes very formulaic, uh, which is fantastic. It's a very great tool to understand. Mm -hmm. Um, however, uh, the funny thing is about all this stuff is, um, it was all built f to help support the exhibitors in the 90 minute, um, uh, multiplex to turn over. It's like going to a restaurant. You need to turn yeah. over so many tables, right? So the mm -hmm. same thing is like in the theaters. We need to turn over so many tables. But that's why it's like when they get the three-hour Lord of the Rings or, you know, Avatar in there, they better make it up for, you know, just make sure it has a long run because um, mm. they're not going to get as many, you know, you're paying the same price to see a three-hour movie as you would a 90-minute movie. Yeah. But that all changes because I had this uh, conversation a couple of years ago with a, a fellow, a friend of mine who's in the industry. And we're like, why does it have to be 90 minutes? You know, mm. Dumbo was 70 minutes long. 
you know that's considered one of disney's classics um so it's really now being online we're not cons- um constricted by uh time parameters you know anymore yeah, anymore, yeah. so that's one thing to think of um also in the in you know the, there's a show here in the states i don't know if you see it there it's a it was a cult favorite called community and community was on like the nbc network and they um then they turned into they got picked up by yahoo screen but now mm-hmm. that they're online they don't have to fit the uh, the, the classic 30-minute uh, sitcom uh, formula that they have to have so many breaks for commercials and so on. They actually yeah. get uh, like an extra five, seven minutes because it's completely online with no commercials. So it's like it changes the uh, the constructs of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, lately, I've been really enjoying Vine videos, six-second Vine videos, you oh, know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to say that it's uh, that is a whole art form in itself, the art form of telling a story in six seconds. And some, uh, some of the, the more popular uh, Viners are doing a very good job at it. So for your, your situation, like, to ask that question, like, what is the future? Well, it almost seems like... Um, Everybody's moving towards long form, actually longer than ninety minutes. People are people are working towards the the web series or the online series, um, knowing that that's what Netflix and Amazon and all these other uh, online um, platforms are investing into because they need to have repeat viewership. They need the the binge viewers. So um, uh, and so that's that's basically the money makers. You know, Netflix has really kind of stopped supporting independent film for a long time because you know when you make one film product, that's it. It becomes a one-off product. There's not a lot of opportunity to have uh, return viewing, as opposed to a series. You know, you can hours upon hours getting people hooked, and that gives you uh, validation towards the platform you're selling. Um, you know, obviously that's what's made the bread and butter of HBO. You know, with that, they really kind of like they did with The Wire. Sopranos was a huge hit. You know, that kind of rattled the whole industry a little bit in terms of how successful in that format. And now they have Game of Thrones. And, you know, these are types of things where people are like tuning in because you're inve- the, we can invest into that platform because we can invest more time. If there was just a one-off movie, it's too easy to, to look at a movie and come and go. So you'll see a lot more people creating web series to try to create the longer form to possibly get picked up, you know, by a bigger entity. Um, but it remains to be seen what it, what the value or the future is for the, the actual feature film. And I almost feel like because the feature film <clears throat> could be more or less like a, a short film now, because if everybody's going long form. So, if you know, this, yeah. you ever heard this term like if everybody's zigging, then you got a zag, you know. If so, if yeah, never, heard <laughs> never heard of that before. <laughs> no. Okay. So there's a there's like a business saying like um, or investors, stock investors that they mm-hmm. they, they they talk about. Um, you know, you sell high, you buy low. So if everybody's freaking out, you know, do the opposite because by that oh. you know what I mean. So it's like yeah. if everybody in the industry is saying like, okay, you got a crowdfund and you got to make a web series. You know, everybody's zigging that way. It's like zigzag. Like, oh, everybody's zigging that way. Then what's the zag? What's the opposite? The opposite Mm -hmm. is saying, well, I'm not going to do crowdfunding and I'm going to make a feature film um, because if everybody's going that direction, web series and long form, 
then there's going to be one day that people there's going to be such an oversaturation of people doing that kind of stuff yeah. that will I be primed and ready to have a really short form uh, content that's that's condensed in terms of the message and the uh, the mess or the opportunity to transform an audience in a very sh uh, shorter time span. And so I almost think like the feature film, if it gets cut down to more like 70 minutes long because it's on digital and look at we know time is precious for everybody. And I don't think anybody's ever come out of like watching a film going, God, I wish it was longer. You know what I mean? <laughs> you just, you yeah, just, you, yeah. you just need to tell the story long enough where if it feels satisfying. Yeah, I think it's fully possible. I think I think the one of the problems is that not enough people think that way. That people just see the big Hollywood machine and that's all they want, basically. So you know they end up doing these kind of films to to attract them. You know. Same formatting and kind of same kind of storytelling and everything, but but you know with Vimeo coming up and YouTube and everything, I mean we don't have to go that way anymore. Yeah, and, that, and that's what I want to see more as well. That's something also I'm having to intentionally in, in actually experimenting with. Um, it's it's interesting, but as you said, someone has to have made that success first before everyone else follows. And, you know, who's going to take that first step? We, we don't know yet. So we'll yeah. see. I mean, Kung Fu was a really uh, good first step, I think. Um, I don't know if you have uh, read anything about it, but I think uh, they're closing in on like 11 million views already or something like that. The great thing about Kung Fury is that they were so clear in what they wanted to do. I mean, that trailer was like, we are making a spoof action fantasy film set in the 1980s and shot yeah. with the, with the tongue-in-cheek, you know, wink towards that. But the execution was very, very good, and but very yeah. clear what they were selling. And yeah. then people got on board, and, then, and the way they responded to their, their fan base uh, through Facebook, you know, I'm hoping, and this is the next question here, or one of these things we can talk about in the next uh, section, is... I'm hoping they were able to um, bring those fan base onto an email list. Um, and I'll t explain this uh, in further because one of the next questions you had was that when talked with professional marketers, I hear different options about email listings. Some say it's super important, but I've also heard to my surprise that email listings aren't as relevant as they used to be. Mm -hmm. um, some arguments are that places like Facebook and Twitter are taking over that role. So we can kind of go into this a little bit more to understand the logic, this is the logic of why some of the experts say that email lists, building your own email lists are so vital. is because the concept of don't build on rented land. Facebook has changed uh, the rules and Twitter has changed the rules and, and or something like t uh, Tumblr, if you're Instagram, they get bought up by a bigger entity. You know, like you don't have it. If you're building your fan base and your means of communicating with your larger you know, audience and so on on one of these platforms, you're at the mercy of when these uh, companies change their rules. In the case of Facebook, what happened was a lot of people built these large likes and fan pages for small businesses or, you know, or whatnot. And, but they never translated that list of people that liked them on that platform to an email list. So when Facebook decided to change their policy, and say if you want to reach, so like say you build a fan page for uh, one two four, um, um, your, your film New Beginnings, you know. Yeah. So, say you build this fairly large following and likes, you know. Say you have like twenty five thousand people that follow you, 
And then you'll realize that whatever you post in that page, like here's the update, here's the next you know animated character or whatever it is, you might see something like this post only reached maybe a hundred people of your yeah. twenty five thousand. Like if you want to reach more, you got to pay for it. That's yeah. what Facebook has done. So the difference is the new strategy for anything from Facebook or Twitter to Google Plus to Tumblr, any of that, is it. This is a place where you can uh, supply content, really fun content that people can comment on to, to get people to um, to start sharing some of the stuff you're doing. But knowing it's only going to have a, a small reach because even though you might have 25,000 likes, you're not going to hit every 25,000 people. So the difference is whatever content you're creating on these platforms, the, the goal is to give some sort of call to action to say there's even more or, you know, sign up and get even more or uh, bonus material, something like that over at the email list. So when people sign up on the email list, then it's not, then your job becomes like this home base. So imagine now if you have that 25,000 people and say, you know, 15,000 of them showed up on your email list, right? So the difference is our, our habit with emails are either they, we don't know, they end up in spam, right? You're looking at your phone, you're like, oh, mm-hmm. spam, spam, or, or you know, I'll de- delete it or deal with it later. But um, you kind of like, if I purposely knew that I was signing up for your email list because I was going to get something of value, some bonus stuff, like you were going to give some giveaway, they call it the uh, ethical bribe in marketing. Like you got to give something away. It's like the first form of commerce or a transaction. If I'm going to give you my email address, I hope to get something in return for free. So whatever that free material is, if it's really compelling, then you want to make sure the next step is try to keep everybody on that email list. Um, because people that have email lists, they the range of – so you might have like say 10,000 people on your email list and you might only get uh, reach – like 40% to 25% sometimes. Like, so you might look at this email list like, God, what's what's the deal? Like mm-hmm. only half the people or 30% of the people are opening my emails. So then you have to ask yourself, why is that? But if you look at the, the flip side, if you're on Twitter or Facebook, you might have all those followers, but you know how fleeting it is in the newsfeed. Like you, mm-hmm. only 100 people might actually see what you're doing at a given time. You know, it's not like something they see all day that's available. It's like, I remember scrolling through Facebook sometimes and I see like a news feed and then I some, there's a little update button and I click it on my uh-huh. phone, update news feed, and then I lose it. I don't even know where that – like I lost – I saw like a snippet mm-hmm. of the article and it's like a yeah. bug. Like I, I can't find out what I, what I just saw because it, it continuously flushes – sorry, uh, the, the news items, the new po- – the blog posts or whatever people are posting. So it's like mm-hmm. – it's a constant um, – uh, ADHD style, like, you know, getting information yeah. <clears throat> where an email is very personal because it's people have to actually physically do something with it. Either it goes to spam or they delete it or they put it in a folder or they save it for later or you're hoping that they open it. And, and what you're trying to do is you're trying to match up that uh, the right customer, the people that mm-hmm. are really interested in what you're doing and in the message that you share with them is totally in the right alignment with what they expect, which is why Kung Fury was great. So they are always supplying uh, this world, this fun world that they've created, and they got audience participation, they got fan art, people like creating stuff for them. Now, can you imagine if they were able to 
have that same very personal connection with somebody on you know on the email list. I didn't sign up for it. Like I kind of found out about Kung Fury late, so I didn't uh, mm -hmm. contribute to the, um, the 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 crowdfunding campaign because it's like they were they were already done, like way done, <laughs> and they they were about to release. So, um, but I could see if I was early on signing up and, and contributing to their campaign. I'm hoping I don't know what the experience was like on the email front, but you can imagine. Like me being signing up for your email list, you know, one, two, four, new beginnings. And then mm -hmm. all of a sudden, like every other week or every week, it's not just like, uh, hey, check this out. Here's the latest. You know, like maybe the headline of your email is something really uh, eye-catching uh, headline. Something like, um, let's see, I don't know particularly what your story is about, but some, I'm going to say like, he goes, do you know there's, you know, five fun facts about space vampires? I, I, I don't know. You know, I was just like saying like, <laughs> so like I go, what? So I click on it and like the emails formatted really easy to read. And it's and it's all about the art of copywriting, because at that point, you're somebody's reading the email. You're trying to get them to read your headline. And the whole point about reading the headline is get them to read the first line, your first sentence. And you hope, hope that first sentence allows them to read the second sentence. And they, the goal is to get them on that slippery slope where by the time they're undone with email, you know, they read through it. And maybe there's a perfect call to action, actionable link that says, if you want to know more, click on this, just read the whole article or reply. Let, me, let us know what you would love to see in our film or whatever it might be. It goes, or, or reply and let us know what behind the scenes stuff you really want to know about. You might mm -hmm. go, you might get tons of people saying, I want to know more about rigging. Then you don't even know, like, oh, I didn't even know this was my audience. I didn't know that, that yeah. most of my audience wanted to know the ins and outs of 3D animation and character building and so on. So you're like, okay. Or you might not know. The people that you reach out to are like, want to have a philosophical discussion about the deeper meaning of what your film is about. You know, you, you won't know until you start uh, asking questions of, of your list. Now, you can do the same thing on Facebook and so on, but sometimes, you know, to get that personal email, um, you're, you're trying to set it up so that eventually the email list can be used as a place to sell, you know, to make a, to make a sales pitch. Um, yeah. Because we're kind of more accustomed, like we see it come through an email, like, hey, thanks for following us and all this kind of stuff's going on. By the way, we have a special offer. If you're ready to roll, here it is. Here's the link, you know, or whatever your sales pitch might be. Now, it's really hard to get that going on Twitter or Facebook. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, it's yeah, our, our, our brains are set up to, be like, to deal with that kind of stuff to be more mm -hmm. social. But when it comes time to do the sale, you want to be you want to prime people enough on your list um, to make the sale. And, and, you know, not to be you're not trying to be sleazy about it, but you're trying to understand how these different formats work so that you can best um, deliver the right message. Because if you're delivering a sales message on Facebook, people are like, eh, no, I'm, I'm done. You know, like that, mm -hmm. that, that's, I don't see, I've never seen anybody come in with, uh, or Facebook will allow, because they don't want that to be the place where people are making sales. You know, like they almost expect you to do it on your own email list and your own personal communication um, with your, um, with your, the people that follow you. So you can understand like it, it all kind of works hand in hand. So the strategy is simple. Execution is not. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like everything about what business and marketing is like, it's fairly simple, but the yeah. execution is always hard. Just like filmmaking. Once you put your head wrapped around it, you're like, well, it's not that hard, but then execution's harder. Since email listing, I've been there pretty much forever. And, uh, you know, 
but the new way of of how people communicate you know the entire planet is basically on facebook and twitter um so it's just interesting to see different people's opinion about it um i'm not saying that you know the this one is better than, than the other one but just interesting to to hear people's opinion um because they, they seem to differ at times yeah, and ever you know, ever listen. Everybody's scrambling to kind of figure it out, but there seems to be some um, proven, you know, age-old strategies or principles to always keep in mind. Because mm. um, really, what business is um, is there's a problem, and there's a product or service that solves that problem, and that's it. <laughs> and then, then somebody <laughs> pays pays that person for that product or service. And and people that look at entertainment products, it goes well. What problem does it solve? Um, it's a deeper, more psychological sort of transformative thing. What mm -hmm. what you know? What purpose does Star Wars serve the world? You know, it changed yeah. the uh, cultural you know perspective and and la and and you know hit on th uh, deeper themes and so on that connected with people that expanded their imagination, led to the evolution of so many uh, uh, inspired so many young filmmakers to go into filmmaking in the first place or visual effects. But even mm -hmm. George Lucas would be the first one to tell you. All the money is in the action figures. Yeah. So, <laughs> so that, with that, that, that's also something that uh, you know why I asked the first question as well. Yeah. So, where the future about like the business for independent filmmakers or? Um... Yeah. So the um, I just released a book um, on Amazon. It's called How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion While Doing It, and the uh -huh. the and it's really meant for the uber independent filmmaker. And it's, um, it, it tackles this concept of the number one thing we need to understand is that, uh, you know, Hollywood is not in the film business. Mm -hmm. they don't, that's not the business they're in. Yeah. The reason I say that is the age-old um, um, case study that we can learn from is that when the railroad business went out of business because they mm -hmm. thought they were in the railroad business, they failed to understand that they were in the transfer transportation business. Yeah, exactly. So when the railroad business, if they wrap their heads around like we are in the transportation business, any new technology coming up that can improve transportation, they should invest in. Which yeah. is why when the Henry Ford came in with the Model T, just a you just killed that industry, and then became you know the railroad industry became you know for shipping and transporting of goods and stuff like that. Yeah. But we've seen it happen with the iPhone. The iPhone came in and killed BlackBerry. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so with that said, understanding what business you're in. So with Hollywood being in the business of license exploitation, meaning that the film is nothing more than an advertisement for, for selling all the other ancillary products and, and licensing opportunities of that mm -hmm. particular uh, property. So I always say, like, well, what would you do if you own the Star Wars license? <laughs> like, you would do exactly what they're doing right now. If you own Marvel's license... What would you do? Yeah. You know, Warner Brothers right now has a contract with the DC license. So they're mm -hmm. looking around going, well, what do we do with this DC license? Yeah. They're doing what you would think they would do. Let's make a TV show, movies. But really, those things are driving like toy sales, uh, T-shirts, you know, everything else. Yeah. Um, so that is, once we could wrap our heads around, that is the business. The business of license, license exploitation. Then we as uber independent filmmakers could do the same as long as we shift our perspective and think of it like our film is nothing more than an advertisement for something bigger or something more valuable yeah so in the case of one two four new beginnings 
you, you know, you have to make a great film, obviously, but you can also put in place, like, what else does this film sort of, is there, is there something cool? I mean, is just t-shirts alone or is there something more valuable, you know? Yeah. That stuff is really interesting to me because that that's basically the whole vision behind uh, Darkhaven Studios in a nutshell, basically. It, it's it's not only about the filmmaking part. I mean, of course, we, we do the storytelling and the cinematic experience because that's what we love to do, right? But I think Disney said, said something that was, like, brilliant, and that's pretty much what I'm trying to do with Darkhaven Studios as well. He said, like, something like, uh, we don't do movies to make money, right? Yeah. We, we make money to do more movies. Yeah, he said, uh, yeah. we don't make movies to make money. We make money to make movies. Exactly. To make yeah. more, or is it make more movies? You're yeah, right. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that's something I'm really re reading a lot about, like different business strategies and stuff like that, because I want to build brands with, with the stories I'm telling as well. Um, you know? Yeah. Expand it and see where, you know, Take the story to other mediums uh, as well. That's super interesting. Let's see here. Uh, how far is that? Yeah, had a question of how far and established are the new distribution channels like Vimeo, YouTube, etc. Far enough to build a business plan around for independence. Um, you also have a the last or last two questions were without millions to spend on independent filmmakers need to engage and market their film early to its audience to build a relationship. But how early and can it be too early? And what can an independent filmmaker producer learn from trailer view numbers, as well as numbers from Facebook and other channels, comparing big budget movie trailers view before the premiere results versus independent films? Okay, this is great. So the first thing, my perspective and my understanding of the distribution channels like Vimeo On Demand, uh, YouTube, any, basically you have access to the world. You can mm -hmm. share your stuff. So it's it's a matter of getting people to know that you exist, you know. Yeah. So, with that said, uh, the business model that comes around that is that being very aware of how each platform is plays out. For instance, most people aren't are not thinking about buying anything. Like I said, when they're on Facebook, they're there to socialize. I mean, Zuckerberg created Facebook to be like the ultimate party, like it's the <laughs> ultimate party app where you can meet everybody and socialize. So it's like, you know, sharing stuff of like, you know, video clips or memes or articles or, you know, or, you know, God forbid, like sometimes there's like political debates and religious debates, whatever might happen. Like this, all the stuff yeah. that could happen at a party happens in Facebook. So it'd be really weird if all of a sudden you came in and says, let's sell. Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We don't want we don't want marketers and advertisers in this or like, you know, people are very protective of what the native uh, platform is. YouTube is expected to be a place where you are looking for information. You are either being entertained um, by the people you follow and, but, but you're, it's, ex it's expected. It has a unique, um, like it's never quite as professional as professional stuff, but, and that's okay. There's a charm to it where people feel connected. The you the super YouTube stars are the ones that feel like, if you met them in person, they'd be exactly like they would be, you know, what, what you see on YouTube is what you meet them in person. And they mm -hmm. have, um, and they, you know, they shoot on, you know, the video is not always that great. They have a lot of jump yeah. cuts and stuff like that. But it's, it's, an ex, it's accepted in that, in that place, in that marketplace. And, and, and it's not, and I think that's why it might be a hard time sometimes for um, people selling their movies on YouTube because your mindset in YouTube is like, it's free. Everything is free because I'm getting free information. 
you know, like, I'm, uh, how do I use this program? Or, mm-hmm. you know, here's this funny movie trailer or whatever it is, all this free stuff. And all of a sudden somebody asks you to buy, um, it, there's, a, there's a chasm that has to make mm-hmm. a leap because people are not in that mind space, headspace. But when you're on Amazon.com, there's nothing to do but to shop. So you're yes. in that marketplace looking up things to like, I got to buy something for my brother or my sister, whatever it might be, or buy something for myself, put in my wish list. Like you are already in that mindset of let's buy, you know? Mm-hmm. So, which is why if you're an independent author or something like that, um, which would be helpful to have your book on Amazon because people are in that mindset. That's where you go to get books. Like ha- your book doesn't exist really sometimes if it's not on Amazon, at least like mm-hmm. psych- psychologically. So with that said, for the movies, the the business model use, utilizing a free service like YouTube or Vimeo is showing off what you can do, but always like leave a call to action to bring them back to what? Bring them back to your email list. As long as you're offering something up or, or subscribe. That's why you always see in YouTube, it's like, hey, if you like this video, then make sure to subscribe. But if you want to know more, then just head over to this link, you know? And then you can get this free uh, downloadable PDF or whatever it is, or this free video series about more about this particular topic or that I just shared. Or if you want to know more about the behind the scenes of what we're doing with one, two, four new beginnings, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but there, there is more stuff happening though. I mean, they, I don't know if you noticed it, but uh, I think it's uh, Warner Brothers mm-hmm. actually released a web series on YouTube that's free to watch. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they. they with Vimeo, they, they have the, their like on-demand platform as well. They, you know, the, the benefit of YouTube, like YouTube, you you can actually buy and watch through Google Play because it's connected yeah. to YouTube. So you watch a trailer, and there might be a little like card now that pops up. You know, mm-hmm. buy now, rent now. So it's like I said, there's still going to be a chasm. So like in general, it's taking it's going to take a large marketplace to get used to like as long as the experience is like, you know what I. You might be meet a group of people like, yeah, you know what? I just watch all my buy all my rent all my videos through YouTube. Oh yeah, yeah. It's just I'm in there, I'm searching, and then they have the little uh, screen that pops up, and I click that, and it's like 4.99 rental, and that's when I start watching it, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, but, but, but for the most part, a lot of people are in this mindset of the free space, and then somebody like Warner Brothers releasing like a whole series. Um, there's the ad play, you know. Uh, they're trying to get yeah. they're trying to get as many views as possible so they can get the ad revenue, um, and that's why you see ads pop up because if it's somebody has like a hundred thousand subscribers and more, and, and their videos are constantly getting you know uh, ten thousand twenty five thousand views, mm-hmm. you know they're they're benefiting from the the ad play, which is why the, that's going to be their business model. Uh, ad play business models sometimes are not always. That's a nice ancillary sort of uh, opportunity to make some money, but it doesn't necessarily always replace, you know, um, the main income. For instance, yes. um, we're talking about don't be- build on rented land. YouTube, there's a lot of YouTube uh, YouTubers that had fairly large numbers, and they were they were making sometimes were three thousand dollars a month on revenue, ad revenue. But because a lot of YouTube went in just recently, a couple months ago, and did a clean sweep and said, look. We need to, because there's so many YouTubers now. They can't just be paying out everybody three thousand dollars a month. It's like we got a really they had they had a new sort of uh, uh, search crawl that was able to see how many were inactive accounts, you know, subscribers, and they were able to clean it up. And so some YouTubers that were making three thousand a month, some mm. were making three hundred dollars a month. 
you know, off ad revenue. So that, again, that is the problem of like building a rented land. They changed their policy. You might have been making, you know, hand over fist over ad dollars. Um, but mm. the more successful ones are saying, look, you're going to make a little bit of money if you get a lot of views through ad revenue, if that's the model you want to put out. Podcasters are the same way. Some of them make some pretty decent money um, off, you know, podcast sponsorship. But really, we all have to create these diversified income streams or profit streams, which is what we call exploiting the license. Yeah. So you would exploit the license in the same way. You might build it up on YouTube as an ad play to get some ad revenue that way. But you need to also have another opportunity to make more money off it where you have more control, which is mm -hmm. why you want to get them on your email address so that you can start having that more personal relationship with them, intimate relationship with these people that you can eventually, when you say, look, here it is, this special bundle only for you, the email list that you can buy straight from a service like Gumroad or something where you can download all the digital content for a, a set price. And again, the whole business model is to use your film, use the content you create to promote, advertise so that you're going to sell something more expensive. Um, because the bottom line for the Uber independent filmmaker, we cannot compete on volume. We're never going to be able to compete with Hollywood in terms of number and tra number of transactions. We'll mm -hmm. never get to like, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of transactions. You know, you might get a hundred thousands of views. That does not necessarily mean that translates to actual buyers and transactions. Um, so if you can only harness and hope to get like five hundred or thousand people to actually buy something from you, but you don't want to be you don't want to be selling a three dollar you know movie rental because mm -hmm. then you're not going to make your you're not going to make up enough money so you you got to turn that around and say look the ad the the movie is an advertisement for this higher price product of like a hundred dollars two hundred dollars that i only need to sell to 500 people to a thousand people you know um, and say if all of a sudden i got ten thousand sales you know that's amazing you know, that that's still way under the radar of Hollywood in terms of trend number of transactions. But for the Uber independent, if to get in the thousands range, if you're selling a higher price product um, or offering, then you're going to make your money that way. Um, mm -hmm. So that's sort of wrapping your head around. That's the concept of where we can compete by not competing. We compete on volume. I'm, I'm sorry. We, we compete on value and not volume is one way to uh, allow the filmmaker, uh, the independent filmmaker to thrive, to build a middle-class living, you know, a sustainable living. So yeah. you say you do well enough and the studios do come knocking on your door. The great thing is that you'll have a foundation that you built on your own that without their help, that whatever deal they present to you, you have a much better leverage place that you're not desperate for, that you can take a look at and say, does this benefit us? Does it benefit them? Is it a good win-win situation? And you might find out like they're coming in, they want to take over, they want to own everything. And you've done mm -hmm. all the work and you realize the payout would, may not be as great as you think it should be. And so you can make that decision of like, I think I'm going to stay the course or I don't like this contract or maybe we can modify it, you know. Um, so it'd be, it'd be interesting to see. And that could be a possibility of enough independence building their own middle-class sustainability that gives them the leverage to decide whether or not they want to sign on to a bigger contract, you know, sell out, that kind of thing. So to answer that particular question, and um, let's see here. And then you had asked a question about trailer views. 
and early audience response. So trailer views <laughs> is actually interesting. You can almost, if, if you are just selling your film online, like if you said, okay, I was able to get X amount of trailer views on Vimeo and X amount of trailer views on YouTube, and my film is available on these particular platforms for sale, either on uh, Vimeo and demand or whatever it might be. Um, a, go- a good rule of thumb is that 1% will actually buy your film. <laughs> so if you want to know is like like somehow how people are doing even like a big hollywood film or a big uh star driven film like there was the man of tai chi with um, um keanu reeves yeah it had, it had like so many like x amount of you know trailer views on youtube just calculate one percent actually bought the film you know there's certain films like uh the interview the controversial sony hack film with mm-hmm. Seth, uh, uh rodin and um James Franco. Now that had so much press around it. And if you look at the trailer view numbers versus how much you knew that on that's been reported in the press, it made like $40 million, like opening weekend and roughly around that on video on demand. Um, if you can say like the average cost uh, for transaction for video on demand was anywhere from five to $10, maybe go $7, $8 as a happy medium. Um, you can calculate backwards. You know, it's like, okay, what's, you know, what's $8 divided by 40 million? So it's like, okay, so that's how many transactions it had. You know, so um, we can actually do it right now. (laughs) I'll use my calculator. Okay. Actually, I wonder if you can even see this. Where's my calculator? There it is. Actually, I want to see if you can see this on on Skype real quick. Can you see this? Oh, it doesn't show my screen. It only shows screen. Oh. oh, okay. No one can okay. see it. So nobody can see it. What a bummer. Okay, well, here it is. <laughs> so we're going to say 40 million, right? One, mm-hmm. two, three. One, two, three. And we divide that by like $8. That meant that they got um, 5 million transactions, you know? Yeah. Roughly 5 million transactions. I believe if you go online, um, I think it was around like. 20, it was like some ridiculous amount of trailer views it had. It was at one time, I think it was 18 million trailer, you know, views of the trailer. So they say it's roughly 20 million trailer. The trailer got 20 million views. So one, two, three, one, two, three. And so we divide that by the 5 million. Um, which is not my, look at me, bad math. Wait. Do I want to say no? I threw it the other way around. Sorry, I have to do five million first. Three, oh. <laughs> one, two, three. So we're gonna uh, one, two, one, two, three, one, two, three. So they had about it's like twenty five percent. So uh, meaning that if twenty eight million people saw the or twenty million people saw the trailer trailers, so that's how many views you would just kind of calculate online, and roughly about five million actually made a purchase of it. They made about a twenty-five percent conversion rate. I think it's actually higher. It, 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 it's this is not exact, you know, data because no. I don't have all the data pool. But this is a good. This is a good exercise to kind of give you a, a ballpark range. Mm-hmm. It's probably anywhere from like twenty-five to forty percent. And this is because it had so much controversy. It has so much press. Like everybody knew about this film. Now you're talking about the Uber independent filmmaker that doesn't has nothing like that. Has no mm-hmm. money for press. But if you were able to garner, um, you know, ten thousand trailer views, you can you can honestly probably guess about maybe one to maybe three percent of people will actually buy your uh, product. So you just know that's your conversion rate. So you can calculate 
say, okay, well, you know, I got 10,000 views, um, one, two, three, and say 3% actually, you know, made a transaction, I made 300 transactions. So if you do 300 transactions times, say, $5 is what you're selling your film for online, you made like $1,500. But if you had 300 transactions and you sold a product for, a say, $200, mm-hmm. you made $60,000. Mm-hmm. So that's 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 where you're trying to get at is the same amount of number of people that would pay for your low end you know film product at five dollar rental is there something you can offer them that's worth a hundred two hundred dollars you know so that's that's where you're that's what you're targeting and some of the many of the online um, successful online entrepreneurs we follow you know they're not they're not earning five million transactions you know they you know they're they're earning like several thousand per year. But they're always they always have high price um, products that are worth value to that particular buyer that buyer's list. So getting the in, independent filmmaker to think like that changes their perspective. Like you said, Dark Haven's here. It's like we make film content. Our film content here is to demonstrate one our talent as three D artists, and we can show you things of how we do that or this world that we create. So the, we create this world, but what you in order to buy into this world, we sell these particular products at mm-hmm. like uh, you know twenty seven dollar range, ninety seven dollar range, you know anything to be a part of that world. Um, if you if you could do something like that, um, so that's sort of the, the that concept of why you want to maybe go that, that route for the Uber independent filmmaker, and then the last thing you were mentioning was like. Um, audience engagement too early. I believe there's probably a strategy of like knowing when to share too much. Um, and it's, it's, it's always trying to take your, take a place of like, if you were the audience, if you were a fan of what you were doing, what would you like that, that person to get from you on a weekly or by, you know, every other week basis. And, you know, you don't have to tell them like, or you share the struggles. Like this is where we are with the film, you know, we're moving forward. Or um, there's something you said, like you build enough uh, content out eight weeks out, and then when you launch it to the online world, that's when you start promoting it. So at least you have like a backlog of eight weeks worth of uh, really neat content that you can share with people. So that way mm-hmm. there's a, a consistent um, buildup, which is why you don't really want to just jump into a crowdfunding campaign. Everybody who's been successful at a crowdfunding campaign, it's like 30 day, days of like nonstop full-time business yeah. hell because it's like they didn't realize like it's crowdfunding for those who've been successful at it, realize it's a, a gigantic crash course in, in running a business because yeah. it's like day one, call, making the call to arms. Like everybody, you know, likes to donate, donate, you know, and then, then you're like, we got to keep updating them. And then when it's all done, they have all these orders they had to fulfill, just like mm. a real business, like if yeah. whatever perks. So yeah. yes, after that as well, uh, a lot of people have a huge following even before that. So yes, yeah. <laughs> actually, <laughs> there's that, that's probably the best advice I've probably ever heard. Like if you want to make them, you know, um, if you want to make if you want to be successful at your crowdfunding campaign, make sure you ha- you start with a million fans. Yeah. The, 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 <laughs> you know, you can't. It's like it's very difficult to build a following while you're asking for money. Mm. You know, it's easier to build an audience and then do a launch campaign because yeah. then you're going to get a small percentage that's actually going to um, be successful that way. This is an interesting uh, session here. I think I don't know how I'm going to I'll probably turn this into like, 
you know, Q and A, you know, podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mike. All right. Nice to meet you. Yeah, you too. And uh, I'll, I'll talk to you uh, again shortly for sure. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. All right. Will do. Bye now. Right. Bye. That concludes my interview and questions with Mike Lundahl over at 124movie.com or over at dark-haven.biz. And you can check out all the work that he's doing. If you like this podcast, please leave a ratings and review over at iTunes or go to filmtrooper.com forward slash iTunes and you'll be brought to the iTunes page and you can leave a five-star rating and review. (laughs) If you leave a five-star rating and review, I will read your review on the next episode. But don't go away empty-handed. If you are stuck trying to make your film, then I encourage you to check out freegearguide.com. This is an equipment list of everything I use to make a feature film for $500 with no crew. Again, that's at freegearguide.com. Thanks so much for checking in at the Film Trooper Podcast. I will talk to you next time. Bye.